0: We're going to be starting in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, "If I if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well." Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing that in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, "Who touched my clothes?" But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? He looked around to her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And he came in and said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And he said to the child, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. And said that something should be given her to eat. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for your son, Lord. And we thank you for the power that you filled him with as he was here on the earth, Lord. And we just pray for your spirit to be here this morning, Lord. That you would speak to each of us, Lord. And that we would see that that power is available to us, Lord. Yeah. In your will, Lord, and in your power, God. And we pray for Jackie, Lord, as he, as he teaches, as he... Uh, as he speaks from you, God, we pray that you'd fill him, Lord, and that our hearts would be touched and we'd be moved uh, to know you more, Lord, and to, uh, that our lives would be an offering to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: As we began this section of Mark, I look at it as... Uh, three healings, you can argue with me later, but as we, as I look at them, I'm seeing three points that are being emphasized by Mark. I mean, there's a reason he shared these. John tells us Jesus did a lot of things nobody wrote about, right? Because there were specific things and specific goals by the gospel writers, each one, who and what they were doing and presenting the Messiah to the people as he as he shares the gospel. Mark being the first of the gospels to come forth. So we, Mark had a purpose. And he, we saw in the first one, remember the storm? That Jesus was Lord of the storm. And we saw in the second one, remember the, the demoniac, legion? 6,000 demons in one guy. We saw that Jesus was the Lord of the spirits. And now we're going to see that Jesus is lord over death when we look at it here's what i want you to see there is in life no greater storm that you will ever face than the one when a sinner stands before a holy and just god and who calmed that storm already jesus you can face it without him if you want but he has already calmed that storm who's the enemy? The enemy, the devil who comes against us. A promise in Genesis chapter 3 that, that the enemy would be crushed, that he would be dealt with, that he would be finished. Who's already cast out the enemy? The enemy was defeated at the cross, just like we see Legion cast out the second set of miracles that we looked at. Jesus has already defeated the enemy. And the Bible tells us the last enemy that will be brought down <coughs> is death. And in this section, in this miracle, we see Jesus is Lord over death. He's the one who brings and gives life. And so as we as we look at these, I just hope you're able to, <coughs> to see the purpose behind Mark sharing these. He could have picked you know, any of a million miracles. But he chose these. He chose these to help us understand that which Jesus Christ has done for us. And hopefully we'll be able to see it. This section begins in verse 21 with uh, the great desire of the leader of the synagogue. This guy is somebody. He's important. He's important. His name is Jairus. It says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again, By boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, and she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed and thronged him. So I just want you to see the picture. Jesus, like everywhere we see Him in the Gospel of Mark, is just hounded by the crowds. People pushing and shoving to try to get to Him. To, to try to get to where He is. And in the midst of this comes this guy that's an important guy. And he's, he's a guy that the people in the community look up to. The ruler, the leader of the synagogue. And what we see is, is this incredible desire that He has... That he brings to Jesus. An incredible desire. Look at the words that are used to describe it. First you have this leader of the community falling before Jesus. He fell down at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine a a, a leader in the world today doing that? If If they would, we might be in better shape. But if uh, we have this guy coming, he's driven there by what? By an intense desire. Just just kind of get into his mind for a minute. Feel the desire that he has. He comes, he falls down. That's not a normal posture for a, for a ruler of the synagogue. <clears throat> but he don't really care what everybody else thinks right now. His little girl is dying. The next phrase, it says, And he begged him earnestly. Can you kind of get your mind into that? I just want you to imagine your child dying. There's no hope. The reason he's at Jesus is not because she has got a cold or the flu and he's coming to Jesus to try to relieve her of, of some of the struggle of being sick. She's dying. No one can help her. She's going to die. He has nowhere else to go. He goes to Jesus. And he goes to Jesus in such a way that he comes in total humility, doesn't he? Prostrate on the ground before him. And he comes to him with an intense desire or passion to see God do something for his little girl. In James 5, verse 16 and 17, just consider what it says. It tells us that we are to confess our trespasses to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Nobody wants to do that part. It's kind of hilarious to me. We want to skip it. Well, why do we think we should skip that? It's there. Right? confess your trespasses one to another. We're to go to one another because we find strength among one another. You don't need anybody special to pray for you. You need to go to your brother or your sister, and you need to confess those areas in your life, those strongholds. You know what they are. I don't have to tell you what they are. You already know. They already just popped into your head. You already know. You're supposed to confess those things. And what did it say? That you may be what? Healed. And when we look at healing in the scripture, we need to get our minds off of the idea that that in that healing, God's just relieving us of all our pain and suffering. Healing in the Bible means wholeness. Means wholeness. Can that be a physical wholeness? Absolutely. Is it often a physical wholeness? Sure is. But I also want you to do a careful study through the word and tell me who it is that Jesus spends most of his time healing. I'll help you a little bit. Unbelievers. Paul, remember Paul going to the Lord and asking him for healing three times? You remember what God said to him? He said, my strength is made perfect, Paul, in your weakness. My grace is enough. My grace is enough for you. The grace I've given is enough. Oftentimes what God does in the life of a believer is utilize our own struggles, pain and suffering and the issues that we go through to reach a lost and perishing world. But when we come I'm not telling you not to ask God for healing, I absolutely believe God heals today. I have seen God do miracles. I have been present. I myself am a miracle that God worked. I tell you right now, go to any doctor you want to. There's no cure for HIV. But I had HIV in the 80s and I'm going to die of old age having had three children since then working on three grandchildren so far, still counting hopefully. I still have the letter from the Marine Corps saying we can't explain what happened to you but you don't have HIV anymore. Now you believe it or not believe it, I don't care. It doesn't affect my walk with the Lord. I'm just telling you what happened. I believe God does miracles. I also believe there are times God says, no, and you're going to see two of them in this story today. One time God heals, one time God's too late. If that's possible. Well, let's look. He's coming to him. Look what the next part of of James uh, 5.16 says. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Availeth much. And it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's just like you and me. Elijah, the hero from the Old Testament. You remember? What's it say? <clears throat> he prayed what way? Earnestly. How did this guy come to Jesus? Earnestly. How is it that we're supposed to go to the Lord with our prayers and our petitions? Earnestly. He's not looking for a lackadaisical, oh, i got about 30 seconds in my time. I'm going to throw up a quick prayer. God will take whatever He can get from you. But the scripture tells us what kind of prayers are effective. Tells us what kind of prayers are effective. And I just want you to recognize the effectiveness of that prayer. What was the effectiveness? The the passion we see in the fervency, right? Fervency is passion. The effectiveness is cleaving unto Jesus as the only answer for our problems. How did the father come to Jesus? On his face, on the ground. You could see him almost holding on to Jesus' feet, begging him to do something for his little girl. He came to the only one who could solve his problems, and all he needed was Jesus. He went through the whole crowd just to get to him. Just to get to him. That's effective. Effective. I just need jesus what does james 4 2 and 3 say you lust and do not have you murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight and war yet you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive why because you ask amiss for what purpose to spend it on your pleasures let's put it this way to spend it on yourself The primary goal of our prayers is we come before the Lord and we seek His blessing and His anointing and His touch. And we're looking for Him to move and work in our life. If our goal, our purpose in that is so my life can be easier or better, if it's for me, I ask amiss. If I go for the purpose of glorifying Him, I have validity in my request for His glory, for His honor. And we're going to see why as we continue through this section in this prayer. Now we see Jesus is going, right? Jesus is going. The crowd's thronging. Him. Please listen. The crowd is pressing Him. Is pe- are people touching Him everywhere? Yeah, people are bumping into Him and touching Him all over the place. Look what it says. <coughs> It says now in uh, in verse 25, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So what are we introduced to? In the midst of Jesus going to to touch the life of this little girl, we're introduced to another very desperate person. But on one hand, you have a ruler of a synagogue, a guy in a high place, Has a good life. On the other hand, you have a woman who is broken, outcast, outside for 12 years. She has not been able to be a part of a social life in Israel because she's unclean. The entire time she has her menstrual cycle, she's unclean. And this one hasn't stopped for 12 years. She has spent everything she could spend to try to solve it. and The doctors couldn't make it any better. What's the scripture say? The doctors only made it what? Worse. So they couldn't help. They couldn't help. The first thing we're introduced when we see this woman, this broken outcast of a woman pressing through the throng that nobody else notices. <coughs> we notice her desperation. Is her desperation less than the desperation of the father who's fallen at the knees of Jesus? Is she realize that no one else can help her? Does she got no other hope anywhere? Do you see the passion and fervency and love for Christ as they're coming to Him, pictured in the, the, the willingness to go through anything they had to go through just to get to Him? And all she wants to do is touch Him. Everybody else in this place is touching Him. She just wants to touch Him. And she's so desperate for Him. Nobody can help me. <clears throat> Sometimes we talk about the doctors. Sometimes doctors' cures are, are worse than the disease, huh? You guys experienced that before? Right here. Yeah. We often see things go on where we, we go to the doctors and the doctor's got a cure. <clears throat> Man, their best shot at curing us is trying to kill us first. I'm not sure that counts. But the same thing is going on with this lady. So I just want you to notice the desperation. Let's look. Now she has information. Look at verse 27. It says, When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now here's what people think when they come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. People use these words. Drives me crazy. They say things like blind faith. You guys ever heard that? Or, Or faith in opposition to the truth. That's just stupid. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about that. Everywhere in the Bible, I remember I told you guys about epistemology before. Epistemology is a fancy word for the study of how we know things. And the only things, it was kind of cool, we had a a, a guy who talked about good science at the conference we went to this last week, and he said, the only things that you can prove absolute is logic and mathematics. Neither one of those things really happen in life. You can argue with me later. But everything else, what do we do? We take all the information that we get, we gather it together, and we make a decision based on the information that we have, and we step out, and all those steps require faith. Doesn't matter what the step is. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter what you're, what you're going out after. Think about it like this. We, we're out hunting one day. We're out chasing elk. And the biggest elk you ever saw goes running across a rope bridge. It's my story. The elk can do whatever he wants. He goes across this rope bridge over this chasm. I watched that elk go across. And I'm thinking to myself, that is the ricketiest rope bridge i ever seen in my life. But I can assemble some information. The elk is bigger than me. And he went across. It's still going to require faith from me. But it's faith that steps in line with the information that I have. And the information that I have is the elk made it. I can make it. It's the same thing when we come to this story and we see this woman saying, she's desperate, nobody can help me. And she understands all the things that Jesus has been doing, the healings he's been doing, the lives he's transformed. He's transformed. And she's heard the stories. And so she steps out in faith in the direction toward him, in line with the information that she has. That's how faith always works, all the time. We take the information that we have. Remember I told you the Bible's a historical book. We can go to the places, I can show you the things, we can walk the trails, we can dig in the ground and find the pieces that are there buried in the ground and say, look, yep, right where the Bible said it was going to be, I can amass that information and say, I am stepping out in faith. Absolutely, it requires faith. But it's faith in line with the information that we have in the pages. And that's what this woman's doing. She's stepping out in faith. She said, if only I can touch Him. If only I can touch Him, I shall be made well. And so, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction she stepped out in faith following the information that she had but the other thing that's important about that is the direction she stepped because faith in faith doesn't do anything we have sometimes we get caught up in this concept of having faith in faith like faith is a is a thing faith only matters when it is placed in something or someone <clears throat> the point is that she put her faith in Jesus Christ, right? If I touch his clothes, the direction of her faith was toward Jesus. She was coming toward him, not just faith in faith for faith's sake, but faith in Jesus Christ. And that's important when we look at our, the reality of our relationship with God and how we grow and move and have our being within the church because sometimes people think their salvation comes from the church, Look, the church can't save you. It's full of broken people. Jesus Christ saves. Jesus Christ saves. The prayer did not save you. The one to whom you prayed, He saved you. The water of baptism did not save you. But the one that you are identifying yourself with in baptism, He does. It's faith in Jesus Christ. That does the work, the direction of her faith. We see her desperation. We see the information that she knows what's going on, right? That things that Jesus has done and she steps toward him in faith. I gotta touch his clothes. Meanwhile, Jesus is going somewhere else. But the next part I think shows us what what I alluded to in the beginning, and that is his substitution. His substitution. Jesus being touched by everybody, he could have just kept going right he's touched by hundreds of people maybe thousands of people while he's doing that walk why did he call her out why is this one public and the next one private do you ever ask yourself those questions he 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 makes it a big deal of this in front of the masses he stops everything he's doing he stops everything he's doing for all the masses. We're going to get to get Jairus' daughter. He's going go to go with Peter, James, and John, <clears throat> and the mom and dad. That's it, five people in a room, five living people. This one, he, he wants them to recognize. I believe he wants them to understand the substitution, the fact that the only thing that spares anyone from death is the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. And he emphasizes it by telling us this part of the story. Look at it. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him. just We probably read that 10,000 times and never thought about it. So let me say it to you like this. In order for her to be stronger, he had to become weaker. Do you get it? In order for her to be made whole, he had to die. In order for her to be healed, power had to go out from Him. Everything is found within Him. Our healing, our being, all that we're ever going to be, all that we can be, it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. It's all in Him. So, He brings that out. He stops everything. And He says a ridiculous thing. Who touched me? Who touched me? We know, what's the disciples say? The disciple said to him, "You see the multitude thronging you." That's a nice Bible word for the rudeness that was going on in the crowds of the people around him. We 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 read thronging and we go, "Oh, yeah, they were, you know." But you guys ever been in a subway in Russia? If you want to know what thronging is, get on a subway in Russia. There's no such thing as You know, back in the back of the church, we got a sign that says maximum capacity. There ain't one of those in a subway in Russia. There's not one on a bus, neither. And seats are just in the way. They should just take them all out. You'd be able to get more people in it. You get in the subway. I have a giant bag. Now, this is why I hate giant bags. I have this giant bag... And I got a djembe, and I got a box of books that I'm taking, dropping off at uh, Nizhny Novgorod in, in, uh, at Calvary Chapel, Nizhny. And as I'm headed down there, I'm getting, I'm trying to get on the subway. So I get in with all this stuff, but my bag is three people back. I got a hand on it, but I'm imagining to myself, when the door's open and I got to get out, this could be a problem. These two people are going to come with it. There's even one lady sitting on it. Then I got the djembe under my arm, and at my feet, a little box of books. Somehow, I got to pick up, but I can't see it. I just know it's there, because the guy in front of me is so close in front of me, I can't see the ground. But I filled a box down there, and I'm about 20 people from the door, and my stop is coming up. And when the door is open, and you think, maybe, just maybe, the people will think, we should let them out before we get in? No. Because then people outside are saying, dude, if we don't get in here, we're going to get left. So hang all them people that got to get out. We're coming. So it is like rugby scrum. It was crazy. Then I was able to get out just because I had a little football background and... I was mildly irritated at the entire experience. All that kind of played into my favor. So I was able to get out. So I understand what the scripture says by thronging people everywhere. Jesus says, who touched me? Who's the one who touched me? And so he he says that. And it's interesting because it says in verse 32, he looked around to see her who had done this thing. You ever think about that? It's like Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples saying, what do you mean who touched him?" And the people are all pushing. And all Jesus does is turn around and look right at her. He don't say nothing. But it says she is full of fear and trembling. She knows she's healed. She understands that the things that were affecting her body are not affecting her body anymore. And so she's full of Fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her. And what's it say? She came down and fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. I touched you. I touched you. But the reason Jesus, we see power going from. Him, we see this concept of Him getting weaker so that she could be made whole, <clears throat> picturing what He's going to do for us, On the cross. But the other thing that I see is is as these people are touching him, you realize we can just be part of that crowd. And Jesus really doesn't have anything to do with that crowd. It's like that whole crowd doesn't exist. And he focuses in on this woman. We can be just like that crowd. We're crowding him and we're bumping him and we're in the area. We're in the vicinity, but nobody wants to touch him. Nobody wants to reach out and touch him in faith. And that's what Jesus is longing for. That's what He wants. We can spend all our time around Jesus. We can spend all our time crowding into buildings to talk about Jesus. We can be gathered together in Bible studies and all that stuff and never want to touch Him. But Jesus wants people who want to touch Him. To reach out their hand, to lay a hold of Him, who He is, and what He has, what He will give. So I think Jesus stops and he tells them who touched me and he looks at this girl and she has the opportunity to share and and Jesus has an opportunity to speak to her. And literally what she's saying is look everybody's touching me but really only one person touched me. And I'm going to stop and make sure you all know it. And he looks at that Woman, And he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed of your affliction. Go and be made whole. Now, Scripture tells us, remember we started this with a different story. There's a lot of times been eaten up in this. What it says in verse 35, while he's still speaking. So he's still saying this to this woman and nobody cares about. Meanwhile, the ruler, who's this guy who's kind of got it all together and everybody respects, but Jesus is not in a big rush to go meet his need. He's meeting with this marginalized woman, this person who is unclean, this one broken person. Jesus always went to them first. You know that, right? He always went to them first. And while he's still speaking to her, it says, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Can you think of any more final uh, phrase to hear? Sounds final, doesn't it? Your daughter's dead. And then it also sounds fruitless. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother Jesus. There's no fruit in that. There's nothing he can do. Your daughter's dead. There's nothing he can do. Your daughter's dead. And I think sometimes we still think that today. We still think there's nothing Jesus can do. Now you and I, we might be thinking of two different things. I still believe Jesus is able to raise the dead. If He wants to raise the dead, He can raise the dead. He's God Almighty. He do what He wants. <clears throat> and I'm not afraid to ask. And I'm not afraid for Him to say no. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus still has changed everything. He has still changed everything. There's a family and twin going to mourn today, tomorrow, at some point, the loss of someone they love. But that person knows Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And the moment, at whatever point that occurred, the moment that he left the body, the moment that God figured the body was dead, you know doctors don't get to choose that, right? I don't know if you understood that. Jesus chooses that. You can keep an empty body alive a long time. But the moment that that occurred, at whatever moment that had, that person, Joey, that, that man, instantly with Jesus Christ. The last enemy is defeated. Because if his loved ones know Jesus Christ, it's not the end of the story. It's just the end of this chapter. But it's not the end of the story. Death is defeated. Jesus being in the midst means that every time Jesus talks about a dead person, he says, they are sleeping. Because nobody's dead. The lost are sleeping, awaiting judgment. The believers, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. He's, she's, just sleeping. Well, they come with this final word. So what do we see in the delays of Jesus Christ? Why does Jesus delay? Why doesn't He just go do what needs to be done? Because sometimes we sound like the the disciples. Remember them on the boat? The the storm? They come to Jesus and say, Why don't you care about us? If you cared about us, we wouldn't be going through this right now. we felt that way before, right? If we're honest, we've all been there. So why does Jesus delay? The first reason He delays is to show us He loves. Why did He delay? To stop with a woman who nobody cared about. To make sure she knew that he knew you touched me. To make sure she understood his grace and all those who were willing to hear that she, that they understood the beauty and the grace of God touching an outcast. I'm kind of thankful that God still touches outcasts today. I'm still kind of thankful that God cares about the broken. So we look at this, the first thing we see in the delays of Jesus is it shows His love. The other thing that the delays of Jesus show us are His wisdom and power. And that's what Jairus is going to learn about. The delays of Jesus... Show us his wisdom and his power. Look at the next look at the next section of scripture from thirty-six. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. That's rugged, huh? You able to do that? Man, I can't do that. I'm a scaredy cat. I get afraid. I feel fear rise up in me. Now, what do we do about it? If we can be honest, yes, I feel afraid and I struggle with, with doubt and I want to believe, but I'm afraid. What do we recognize about that fear? Has God given us a spirit of fear? No, the Word of God declares that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind or self-control. Those three things. So when I recognize fear in me, I know it's not from God. <coughs> So what does the Bible tell us to do? How do we defeat an attack of the enemy in our life who's speaking fear into my heart and I'm struggling with faith. I'm struggling being able to believe. The Bible tells in the book of James, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. You don't get to skip the first part. You get that. You don't get to go, God, I don't really like this whole situation and I, I'm really upset about my daughter being dead and uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm just not going to submit. Well, then you're not going to be free of fear. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Submit to God. That means, like that father... And like that woman, we lay down at His feet and we say, "Only You can help me, just You." And I just would stay here and hold on to Your feet. I love the story of Jacob. Remember, Jacob wrestled with God. <clears throat> Bible says. Better hurry. Bible says that Jacob wrestled with a man, right? And the Scripture tells us that that man was representation of God. And and, the, and God reached down and Jacob prevailed, the Bible says. Jacob was, was holding his own, so God reached out and touched him with his finger. That should tell you a little bit about how he was prevailing, right? God touched him with a finger. <laughs> dislocated his hip. But What did Jacob say? I'm not letting go of you, God. I'm not letting go of you, God, till you bless me. I'm not letting go of you, God. Do you get it? So what if if God's delaying? What if the prayers aren't coming? What if things aren't happening? What did Jacob do? He held on to God and said, I'm not letting go until it changes. I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go until you equip me. And that equipping came through pain and suffering. But Jacob said, I'm not letting go, no matter what. That's submit to God. And then... You will find you have the strength to resist the devil and he will say, I'm out of here. And you will find the spirit of fear going with him. And the spirit of love and of power and a sound mind being within you for whatever the journey that you have before you is. So Jesus says to this man, don't be afraid, only believe. And then he permitted no one to follow him. This is different, right, than the other one? nobody's coming in except Peter, James, and John. Those were his problem disciples. You get that, right? If there were three guys in trouble anywhere Jesus was, it was Peter, James, and John. If there was somebody saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, it was Peter, James, or John. If it was somebody saying, Lord, let's cast fire from heaven to devour all these sinners, it was Peter, James, and John. So Jesus discovered with my problem disciples, here's how I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to keep them close. Right, moms? You got a problem child, where do you keep him? Where you can reach him? If he's outside of your reach, anything can go, right? Anything can happen. If I can't get a hold of that ear, somehow moms always know the parts that hurt. My mom did. And and she would carry a broom around with her all the time. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean she, it extended her reach. I always thought, man, Mom really into being clean. No, she's not. She's holding on to that broom and she'd say to me, I would be talking to Kathy on the phone. And i talked to her for like six hours. I, my ear hurt. You guys ever do that? My ear hurt. I can't even imagine doing that anymore. But, <clears throat> well, the ear, i never mind. So... <laughs> Mom, mom says to me, Jackie, get off the phone. And I said something like, come on, Mom, it's no big deal. And the next thing Kathy could hear through the phone was a, a continuous whacking occurring with a broom. <laughs> and a broom handle bouncing off of my head until I said, I got to go, I got to go. <laughs> Hang up the phone. Yeah, you keep your problem children close. So he keeps these guys close. It says, "Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue... and he saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly and when he came in he said to them why are you making this commotion now these guys are not the family this is not the mom and dad crying i want you to understand that this is not the family weeping jesus says mourn with those who mourn that's our response to them these are professional wailers so when somebody would die, they'd throw the call out to the neighborhood because in order to make everybody think how much somebody cared about, we still do it today. We do it in a different way. We look at a funeral service and see how many people came. And if a lot of people came, we say, that well, people really love them. Well, the way they did it then was they'd hire mourners who would come and scream and and wail. And the bigger the wailing and the bigger the screaming, the bigger the impact the individual had. So the professional wailers are there, and Jesus is like, what are you guys doing here? (laughs) You don't need to be here. He says, she's not dead. She's sleeping. You see the next phrase? And they ridiculed him. So he put them outside. That's another one of them things I want to see when I get to heaven. I think he put them outside the same way he overturned the tables. I think he snatched them up by the short hairs on the back of their neck and tossed them out of the room. Get out. He threw them out. He throws them out into the other room. He gets them all out of there. It says, when he had put them all outside, he took the mother, the father and mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. The wisdom and power... Of God that we see. When the woman touches Jesus. Immediately she's made well. But Jairus' daughter dies. If you loved this. This wouldn't happen. You wouldn't have let this happen. You wouldn't have delayed. You would have kept coming. But here's what Jesus is saying. Don't you understand. That my loving. My caring in your life. Is compatible. With tragedy. Are you okay with that? My love and my caring and my moving and working in your life is compatible with tragedy and trouble. And we know that because Jesus says, she's not dead. Was she dead? Yeah, she's dead. But nobody can be dead in the presence of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Nobody can be dead in the presence of Jesus Christ. Nobody. The delays show his wisdom. Look, the only storm that can kill you, Jesus calmed. The only enemy that could defeat you, Jesus defeated. And the only death that could ever have any sting or power over you, Jesus defeated as well. All three stories show us God's ability to overcome, to show us that death has no power anymore. The wisdom and the power of God is seen as he reaches out to touch his little girl. Sometimes we're disappointed with God and his delays. But what they teach us when we're disappointed with God is that my faith is in my agenda, not him. When I'm disappointed with what has occurred, please hear it. My faith is in my agenda and not in God. If my faith is in God, then whatever happens, I know He is sovereign and powerful and He can do anything. And He can turn the rottenest, saddest, wrecked day He can turn it on a dime. So if I'm angry or disappointed at God, I just want you to hear that because when I feel that way, I have to recognize what I'm really upset about is my agenda didn't work out. I'm upset about my agenda not working out. And it shows me God in His grace and mercy is showing me my faith is misplaced. It's in my agenda Not in Him. When we're disappointed at God's delays. A lot of people think, Hey, we have faith in God. But He's let me down. We didn't have faith in Jesus. We had faith in our own agenda and what our own plans were and what we wanted Him to do. So we never really had faith in Him. Trust me, Jesus says, look at me. Look at what I've taken. I have taken death for you. Every enemy that needs defeated, he's already defeated. If he never defeats another, it's okay. He has paved the way for you and I. His delays teach us his wisdom. Finally, Jesus wants something more than just followers. Jesus wants intimacy. Remember I told you this one's small. Small. He didn't have all the people around. He didn't have all the stuff going on. This one's small. So he brings the people in, <clears throat> just a small group, a small intimate group. But look what he says, two words, to the little girl. He reaches out and he holds her hand. He sits where a mom would sit. And he reaches out his hand and he takes the little girl's hand and he says, Talitha Kumi. Why does he say Talitha Kumi? Talitha Kumi is Aramaic. The book is written in Greek. He's, Mark is writing this book to a Greek audience. Why does he give us Aramaic words? Because he wants us to understand the intimacy involved. The Aramaic word Talitha means my little girl. Kumi means wake up. He's not saying, My little girl, rise from the dead. He's like a loving parent holding her hand saying, It's time to get up. My little girl, it's time to get up. His real her real parent was there, God Almighty, her real creator. Not one of the stewards, mom or dad, that were given to her. And he sits there and he says, <clears throat> in Aramaic, rise. He does this be- before mom and dad. He holds her hand. He sits there and he loves on her and he gathers her together. <clears throat> and he says to her, Look, your real family is right here. I'm your real family. He took her hand and he said to her, Talitha Kumi. Which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. That's a, probably speaking moderately, right? Great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. It was intimate. This is for you and me. This is for us here. Don't tell nobody. And for crying out loud, give her something to eat. Got to love that practical stuff, right? Give her something to eat. Look, never try to hurry Jesus. Jesus never hurries. He doesn't need to. The storm is already calmed. He has calmed the storm of our offense toward God Almighty by becoming that offense on the cross. The enemy is already defeated. The one that caused the fall and the deception of man has been defeated. And death is already beaten. Scripture says the soul that sins shall die. So Jesus took that death on the cross. He beat them all. And that's why Mark tells us his story. He beat them all. Because Jesus paid it all for us. Amen? Amen. Stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time, the opportunity that we have to come before you, the opportunity that we have to, to recognize that truly you have done it all for us. God, that you paid the way, That you defeated every enemy, every worry, everything that we we think we have to have. You've already took those enemies out. And so Mark represents each one in these stories, these miracles. Precisely so that we would understand that you have already calmed the storm. You have already defeated every enemy that needs defeated. You have already given us victory over death. Because you paid it all for me. And if we know that then we have life and life more abundant. God, I just give you praise for the truth of your word and we give you thanks for the time that we have to share together in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.